You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Michael McDowell broke onto the national scene in NASCAR this past February when he won the Daytona 500, his first NASCAR Cup Series victory. But if you think he came out of nowhere, you haven't been paying attention. He won the Great American Race in his 358th career NASCAR Cup start. Now, to say he grew up in racing would be an understatement. He actually started racing at age three, racing BMX bikes at the start of each race. Someone would have to hold him in the starting gate because his feet didn't touch the ground. He's now a crafty 36-year-old veteran, and he's been driving professionally for almost 20 years and part of the NASCAR's premier circuit for parts of 14 years. He joined Front Row Motorsports in 2018, and he's finishing up his fourth season with the Denver-based team. Michael, welcome to Sports Connections. Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing well, thank you. Um, so just start with, how did, how did you get involved in racing at such an early age? I mean, three years old, most kids are digging in the dirt. <laughs> And when you were reading all those stats, it made me feel really uh, old, like I've been doing this a long time. But, um, you know, BMX racing, you know, back in Arizona where I grew up was just something we did fun as a family, um, you know, something to get outdoors and and play around with. And there was a BMX track close to our house, uh, Black Canyon Mountain there. And um, I have an older brother, too, who's uh, three years older than me. So um, we both raced BMX bikes and it was just something fun to do. And, and, you know, I, I think that I don't remember those times really well, but, um, I just remember always being really competitive. Um, I didn't like really doing anything just for fun. I like to, to do it and to win. And, you know, and so if I, if I wasn't racing, I was practicing or, you know, working on my bike and, you know, so it, it was a fun, fun thing that we did as a family. Do, do you remember a time when you weren't racing? Um, I don't No, I don't remember a time when I wasn't racing. Um, you know, I don't come from a racing family per se. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, my motorsports, I think has always sort of been around, uh, but nobody raced. So, yeah. you know, it, it was kind of new to us as a, as a family, but it seemed to, um, you know, it seemed to be the thing that, that kept us all glued together for sure. And were you successful uh, from an early age? I mean, certainly starting with BMX, but you're competitive. Did that translate to success? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I was, yeah, I was always kind of driven by results. And so, you know, even at an early age, you know, I, don't, I think I was four or five years old and um, finished second in the world championships in BMX. And uh, <laughs> I remember seeing that, you know, a lot of my memories aren't actual memories of me there, but videos and, and yeah. you know, photos. And I, there's a, a picture of me standing next to this, this second place world championship trophy. And it had to be twice as tall as I was, you know, and, um, and we got all the, all the videos and things like that. So uh, from an early age, you know, I've, I've been trying to collect trophies and win races. All right. Now you raced BMX bikes, then you went to go-karts and then open wheel cars and now stock cars. And I'm sure there were parts of each that you liked. Well, that you liked. Yeah. What do you like the most? So like you said, each of those disciplines had its own unique, um, I wouldn't say skill set, but, you know, when I think about karting, I think karting is probably the purest form of motorsports from Mm. just a raw talent standpoint. 
you know, equipment is important. Uh, equipment's always important in motorsports, but sure. it's less important um, or the least important in karting. Um, you can make up the difference if you're if you're talented. You can still win right. races and, and still challenge. So karting was that the purest form of it. Open wheel, just the pure adrenaline and um, enjoyment of driving. You know, a race car, open wheel cars are. There's nothing that compares. You know, just because of the you know the speed and the downforce and they're light and nimble and you know they they're just they're just awesome. And so the driving, the funnest thing I've ever driven would be you know an Indy car, Champ car, in 2005. I mean they were fire breathing dragons at the time. They were you know big horsepower, almost a thousand horsepower, no traction control, um, stick shift, not paddle shift. You know, uh, no power steering. I mean they were awesome. Um, and then if you go into stock cars, stock cars are, it is for sure the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm. And the racing is way more intense than anything I've ever raced. And I think that that was probably the biggest transition for me was an open wheel. You had to be brave and you just had to be willing to put your life on the line and just go for it. And it usually paid off. Um, there was reward for pushing yourself that extra little bit. And stock cars, you have to be really disciplined and you have to stay underneath the tire and stay underneath the equipment and um, knowledge of the equipment and what you need for each particular track is really important. And so I had to almost dial it back a little bit when I got into stock cars because your your limit was much lower of the car's capabilities. And so it took more of this finesse and precision. Um, but then racing, you know, you're always side by side in NASCAR. You're always battling. And in open wheel, you're not side by side too often. It's usually when you're making a pass or you're getting past. And, um, and so the race craft and the pure racing standpoint is, is the best in stock cars um, because you're always racing somebody. You're never just sitting there riding. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they each had their own, you know, their own moments and, and I've learned from each of them. You know, I think if I went back now and, and race sports cars or open wheels, you know, I would be a much better racer just from the race craft of so many different scenarios being side by side and, uh, making passes in stock cars. Um, and so, yeah, there's, you know, you take something from all of it. That's an interesting look at it. And I appreciate you being, um, you know, describing so much the difference, because to me, it's like, well, the, the biggest difference is with stock cars, you know, if you actually touch wheels, you're, it's not, it's not over, you know, you can bump somebody and not wipe each other out. But the way you described open wheel racing is the re it is basically put words to why I don't want to be an open wheel racer. You don't have traction. You don't have you know, you're going all out all the time and all these things, everything you said, I'm getting more and more nervous and I'm just, watching, <laughs> I'm just listening to you. So, but you, so you like the, the thrill of competing. Yeah. I, I, I love the, the side-by-side -side aspect of, of NASCAR and what it provides. I mean, it is the best racing there is from that standpoint, you know, you can, you can agree or disagree, you know, fans do on, you know, the difference between Formula One and IndyCar and the technology and just the level of drivers and how they put that all in different categories. But the actual head-to-head -head dueling that happens in NASCAR is unlike any other form of motorsports that there is. Do you see yourself lasting the rest of your career in NASCAR or do you see yourself going to IndyCar or Formula One? 
Yeah. So I, I don't think I'll make the transition back the other direction. Okay. Um, you know, it's a, it's a hard transition. And, and I mean, honestly, it's just, I had to unlearn so much when I, when I got into NASCAR that I think that, um, you know, Jimmy Johnson is, is trying to do it right now and is an example of it. And he's probably one of the greatest drivers to ever sit in a race car in the NASCAR world. And, and he's, uh, having, you know, a pretty, pretty good, you know, run at it, but it's definitely challenging. Um, and so I sort of did it the opposite way of, yeah. of doing that first. And, you know, I think that I do think I could do it. It would just be, it'd be hard to kind of start over. And you don't, you don't hear of many that cross over well. Juan Pablo Montoya is a recent one. I think uh, Mario Andretti did some some in in uh, in NASCAR as well, but obviously he was better known for for open wheel racing. It it took you a while to find the right team in the NASCAR Cup Series. What is it about front row motorsports that suits you so well? Yeah, I think it's the it's the family aspect. It's, it's small, you know, we're small. Um, and you know, small being we have, we have 75 employees here, so we're not that small. Right. Um, but in comparison to the teams that we're going up against that have four to, you know, 700 employees, you know, we definitely, we definitely are small, you know, compared to our competition, but, um, yeah, it's just that, 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 that small underdog fight that everybody has here. And, and um, you know, and it makes it enjoyable. I mean, I think that that's the, you, you find a group of people that, you know, are driven and have the same, you know, motivation that you do and you can have fun with and you can enjoy the journey with and, and everybody digs a little deeper and finds a little bit more. And I think that that's, what's made this program, you know, special at, at front row. It's, you know, it's taken us a lot of years and, and a lot of growing and it's also been, you know, slow progression, which mm-hmm. nobody wants slow progression, but I think that's what's helped us a lot is that we've just every year gotten a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And every year just a bit more competitive. And that's helped us just be able to sustain it. You know, we there's a lot of teams that come in and, you know, we'll spend you know, a ton of money and, and try to do it at a very high level and very quickly find out that it's not that easy and money doesn't buy everything and they get burnt out and they're gone. Um, where this has been a slow, steady progression. And we really feel like we've built something special here. It's interesting. A lot of, a lot of people in your situation would look at the fact that, that your team is small as a drawback. You look at it as an advantage. Well, it's been an advantage for me. I think that, you know, I, you know, it's every, everybody's situation and circumstances look a little different. Um, but for me to be engaged and involved in a lot of different aspects of the team and, mm-hmm. um, you know, to really feel a part of it and feel like they're building and growing around me, um, as I am around them, you know, and I think that that, that makes it more that family feel that, you know, we're doing it together rather than, mm-hmm. you know, just being a hired gun that, is replaceable at any time. It's, it doesn't feel that way here. It's different. I want to talk about your Daytona 500 winner. I I was amazed how many drivers, and there's been eight who have won their first race at the Daytona 500. And for those people who aren't big fans of racing, Daytona 500 is basically the Super Bowl of auto racing. Um, Eight different drivers have won their first race at the Daytona 500. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's kind of a crazy stat. You know, I think that there's there's probably several reasons. One is it's it's the race that everybody, you know, cherishes and looks 
forward to the most. Um, so I would say even for us, our race team, we know that that's the race that we put the most amount of effort into. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a small team and, and you know that there's 38 races, but there's really only four or five that you have a shot at winning Daytona is one of those. And so we, we put a lot of eggs in this basket. Yeah. And I think that that's probably been historically the same for a lot of teams. I think there's probably been a lot of teams that know when they go down to Daytona, they have a shot. And so they put their, their best effort forward. Um, yeah. And so I think that that's probably an element to it. Um, Michael, but there, there's teams, I mean, the, the four, the four car teams also put a lot of effort into it. It's just, it seems strange to me that it's the, first time winners. And I'm guessing there's a lot of them, uh, you know, like you, and you've done well since then. Uh, but there's probably a lot of drivers who that's your only win. And I yeah. just think it's, I think it's interesting that there's there, that eight different people have won their first race at the biggest race. Well, I would say too, that, um, with that Daytona and Talladega, those tracks are, are equalizers. Yeah. Um, oh. In a, in a certain aspect, you know, I could probably really break it down in a lot of detail because I've, I've become a student of those races because those are my best chances. And so, you know, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, Daytona, Talladega, anybody can win. Well, stats don't show that. Stats show that it's the same guys that win those races yeah. um, and run up front. And so once I became aware of that just by looking through results and seeing that Hey, there's 10 guys currently that usually finish up front and usually have a sh- chance at winning. You know, how do they do it and how how do they continue? Because if it's luck, well, they sure seem to be awfully lucky every single time. <laughs> and if somebody's lucky every single time, it, it, there's more to it than luck. And, right. and so, you know, I, I feel like luck is timing and preparation. And so I, I spent the time to learn what those guys do. And, you know, not asking them, they're competitors, they're not going to tell you, but watching right. video. Study yeah, I turn right when everybody else is turning left. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then, and then when you watch people, you almost become a little bit of a psychologist when you watch it, because you're trying to figure out what are they thinking about? Mm-hmm. Why, why did they make that decision? What were they processing different than what I was processing? And so it allows you to kind of dive in a little bit deeper of, you know, guys that are able to make that, that last lap decision and do it over and over again. You know, you look at Denny Hamlin and he was going for, you know, trying to win three in a row. You look at, at Brad Keselowski, he's won seven races at Talladega. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's easy to say lucky, but at the same time, I want to know what those guys are thinking about and how they put themselves in those positions. So that's something that I worked really hard on the last, you know, five to seven years is, is becoming a student and trying to figure out, you know, continually how those guys do it. And with that, I got better and better every time. And, yeah. and then I had my own playbook you know, my race is different than a lot of other guys' races. And, and so I knew how I had to play my race mm-hmm. to put myself in that best position. And I only knew that by mistakes that I've made previously, you know, it's my first Daytona 500 win, but I've been in position to win the Daytona 500 two or three times in the last five years and made the wrong move, went with the wrong guy, went into the wrong lane and, you know, I finished fourth and sixth and, you know, so you learn from those mistakes and you go, Oh, if I would have gone here instead of there, or if I would have had this pusher instead of being the pusher. And, um, and so it's, it, there's a lot to it. You know, it's uh, there is an element of Daytona is an equalizer and we all know that. Um, but there's also a reason you see the same guys up front every, every single time we go there. 
I, I love the analysis. That's that's great. You're probably going to end up in the booth at some point uh, because of your ability to to let somebody who's not as well versed in it let them know why things are happening. So um, I want to talk about the speed that you guys are going, especially at the super speedways where you've had some success. Uh, besides, obviously, winning in February, the in-car cameras don't do justice to how fast you're actually going in bumper-to-bumper traffic. What's it like to be a foot behind another car when you're both going 190 miles an hour? Yeah, it's intense. I mean, even even for us that we get sort of used to it, um, it's still intense. And, and that's why you see the accidents that you see at those races is because you are so close at such a high rate of speeds. As soon as anything happens, you're all right together. You know, there's, it's very hard to avoid it. And yeah, so there is an element of you do get used to um, processing information really fast and it's happening really quickly. Um, But it's one of those racetracks where you're never put your guard down. You're not super comfortable at any point because you are two or three wide or you are nose to tail and, um, and it only takes a small you know, mistake for, for the big one to happen. And so, um, when you get done with Daytona, you are mentally spent and you, you're mentally tired. When you get done with a road course or a Bristol, you're physically tired because the G forces and just, uh, high intensity and duration. So Daytona is not extremely physical because the track's so big, but it's extremely mental. And mm-hmm. you're processing at such a high rate that when you're done, you, your your brain hurts. Um, and so it, it's a chess game for sure. And I want to ask you about that. You, you you had to look at my questions ahead of time because you're leading into my next one several times. What keeps you even keel when you're going so fast in such stressful conditions? Um, you know, I think that if I looked at that, I haven't thought about that question, but if I honestly looked at it, I would say experience. I would say I'm calmer now, you know, 14 years into my career at those races than I was early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you have, I don't, situational awareness comes, I think, from experience mm-hmm. of knowing that I've been in this spot before and this is how to respond. And, you know, never, never, it's never the same, but it allows you to be comfortable in, you know, the process of what's happening. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it is just being, having experience that allows you to be more comfortable, more confident in those situations where it is high intensity. Um, and so I, you know, I think that that's, that's probably an element of it. Um, but there are times that you spike, you know, where it's, it gets busy fast and you're dodging left, right. You make it through and you're like, whoa. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, and that adrenaline's pumping, you know, and so you're like, oh, that is crazy. And then you got to kind of settle yourself back down and get refocused, you know, and so there's definitely moments where you um, you definitely have to kind of reground yourself because they get intense pretty fast. How has your life changed since February, since you won the Daytona 500? Um, you know, there's elements that have changed, you know, obviously a lot of exposure and a lot of media opportunities and, you know, just being recognized more in, in more situations like that. But, um, you know, I don't think a whole lot has changed. You know, when you look at like the real meat of everything, you know, you're, you're still doing the same thing day in and day out. And 
um, you know, the world is, is not changed dramatically for me. Um, you know, the areas that matter are, are exactly the same. They haven't changed. Um, but there's been some neat opportunities too. I mean, I, I, I think it's been awesome, you know, for my team and our partners and, you know, a lot of our crew guys, you know, a lot of our crew guys have been in this sport, you know, longer than I have. And they've been in, you know, NASCAR for 20 or 30 years. And this is their first Daytona 500 win. And it means a lot to them and mm-hmm. uh, to their families, you know, and to, to their friends that they grew up with. And, and, you know, motorsports, like any, any professional sport or professional career, it does take a lot of sacrifice yeah. and not just from me, from everybody. And so, you know, it's, it's neat to see everybody have an experience with the, you know, the reward of winning the 500 and, and what that means to everyone. It's, it's done a lot for our race team and for our partners and adding value. And, um, but you know, it's, it's also misleading if you think all of a sudden you're, you've arrived, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, you know, you get to the next race and, um, you know, you're quickly humbled of, of what reality is. You mentioned the family, you mentioned it earlier with, with, uh, uh, you know, comparing front row motorsports to a family atmosphere. And then you just talked about the impact on your family. Talk about your family, uh, your, your parents, your brother, um, and you, I understand you're married and have kids. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in, uh, Glendale, Arizona, and I have one older brother, um, who's been really supportive in my career. He, he, uh, he didn't do a lot of driving himself, but, um, he, you know, when I was racing go-karts, he was my mechanic and always working on them. And, um, so he, him and I did it together, you know, we all did it as a family. And so, um, you know, my, my mom and dad were very supportive and a big part of, of my racing career, obviously you, you can't drive to the racetrack when you're six years old. Um, and so, you know, it, it was something that we did as a family. And I think that, you know, it's, it was probably the best time of my life is just doing all that. Um, and then when it became real and, you know, you get into those teenage years and everything, you know, you start getting closer to your goal. Uh, I moved away to North Carolina, um, with my, with my wife, Jamie, and, uh, so we've been in North Carolina now for almost 16, 17 years. So this is home for us. Um, and we have four children. Um, so we have two boys, two girls, uh, three biological, one adopted. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely busy at our house and it's fun. Um, we've always traveled together as a family, just like I did growing up. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we spent a lot of time in the motorhome on the road. And uh, yeah, it's been, been a special time for sure. Any future racers among those four? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's, it's very, very interesting with that is I, I love what I do and I'm still very passionate about what I do. Um, but I also don't know if I want it for my kids, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm very thankful for the, every opportunity I've had, but this has been a complete full-time life commitment. I've, I've never done anything else. I've, I've never... Uh, played basketball or baseball or soccer or or been in any other environment than the environment I'm in right now of racing. And and so as a father, I'm like, man, I want you guys to be more rounded, well-rounded than that, you know, and and to have different life experiences and different skill sets. And, and, and like I said, it's, you know, it's inevitable that my kids are going to um, like racing and, and obviously be very engaged in it because they grew up around it. But yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it is interesting. I, I know a lot of people are just like, 
pounding the ground, getting their kids ready to go. And, and I just kind of feel like I'm going to pump the brakes and, and we'll wait and see how it all plays out. And as a, as a race car driver, pump the brakes has a lot more meaning than it does for us average Joes out there. When I say I'm going to pump the brakes, it's a metaphor. When you say you're going to pump the brakes, there's a literal interpretation of that. Um, I want to wrap up. I always let my guests answer this question and I'll give you a little bit of time to ponder it if you want on how you even want to interpret the question. But my last question for everybody is what is your legacy? Well, that's, that's a, that's a great question. And I don't have to ponder it. Um, our legacy is super simple. I feel like, you know, for me, what's important to me is, is my faith and being a follower of Christ and my legacy will be our children, my children, my wife and I's children. Um, that's the, that is our legacy, you know, careers come and go, jobs come and go, everything comes and goes. And, um, but our children are what we pass on and it's, it's what's going to have the next impact. And so, you know, leading my family and loving my family well is the legacy. And, and that's, that's really it. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Hopefully I'll get a chance to meet you when you come to Kansas uh, later this week and um, looking forward to following you further and, and hopefully seeing another Daytona 500 victory uh, in the near future. Thank you. I appreciate having me on. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.